is good to see everybody who made your way out here and all of you who are watching online. I want to say hello to you as well. So glad that you are uh, with us wherever you may be uh, and however you're watching. We are glad that you are joining us. And so uh, as you can see, we're, we're, we're in this series uh, called Relevant and we are starting today part two, part two, which we are calling the rise and fall of God's people. So uh, let's get to it. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those, get them out and open them up to Exodus chapter one, Exodus chapter one. So last week, if you were here, if you weren't here, uh, we ended part one that we just called in the beginning and that basically covered the whole book of Genesis. Uh, And so today uh, we're going to start uh, in the book of Exodus, and we're really, this part, part two, is going to go all the way to the end of the Old Testament. It'll land somewhere around summertime uh, with, this, with this second part, the rise and fall of God's people. So I thought, because we're starting a new part, uh, I would just really quickly uh, recap like what we, how we set this up, why we're doing this, and what our goal is. And so uh, what we said in the beginning of this is that our goal is not, believe it or not, not that we get through the whole Bible. Uh, our goal, uh, our vision, uh, isn't that we got through the Bible, but that we got closer to to who the Bible is about, which is Jesus. That, that's our goal. That if we get to the end of this, say, hey, yay, we, we got the whole Bible done, hooray. Like that's, that's not what we want to do. Uh, what we want to see and what we know will happen if, if, we, uh, if we do it the right way is that we will get closer to our Savior, Jesus, because the whole Bible, that's the, everything points to Jesus. And so that, that's our goal. And then how we're doing this is we set up these levels of participation. Blair talked about it a little bit earlier. Uh, and, and you can participate in, in any or all of them uh, as someone who comes here. And, and so uh, the first level of participation is what we're doing here uh, is on Sunday mornings. We're just kind of going through this in little 30-minute increments uh, from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And so that you're a part of that already. You're, you're a part of the, the first level of participation. And uh, if you're interested in knowing where we're going, you could actually get a, the, the black handout out there. The black bookmark will show you what we're doing here on Sundays. Uh, and then that's level one. And so then level two uh, is through the individual reading that, that we have for you. And, and so you could do that on your own in your Bible. We also have individual reading plans for you out there as well. They're the white reading plans. And if you're following along with us as a church uh, today or tomorrow, we'll start week nine. And that's going to go into, we're going to start Leviticus uh, this week. Uh, actually on Tuesday, we'll start Leviticus, the beginning of that. And so uh, if you want to get one of those reading plans, grab one of those. And if you're watching online, you can grab one of those as well. Uh, we have a PDF copy of that. If you go to our website, you can find that uh, as well. And then the third level of participation is what we're doing outside of here on Sunday, which is in our community groups. And we have all kinds of groups being outside of Sunday and just talking through this book called The Story, uh, which is also, it's the Bible. It's an NIV translation of the Bible in sort of a, no- a novel form, 31 chapters that covers God's story. And so we're doing that as well in our groups. And, and, and if you are not a part of a group, I really want to encourage you to get in on that because uh, there really is a lot more uh, when you're doing this in circles with people. And so uh, if you're not in a group or if you're new here and you're wondering how do I do that, it's super easy with what we're doing right now because you could come here on Wednesday nights at 6.30. Wednesday night, 6.30, uh, you could join our group. We have about 70 to 80 people that are coming here on a Wednesday night at 6.30. We're just gathering around, talking about the Bible. It's been really, really good. And so you could just come, come on Wednesday and start with us. Uh, So all that to say, uh, jump in with us wherever you are. And if you're already doing that, keep 
going, keep moving. Has it been good so far, so far, so good, everybody? Yeah, it's been good, yeah. So I think it's been really good. Um, okay, so here's where we are. Last week, uh, we left off in God's story with the life of Joseph. And uh, Joseph is really important because his story actually kind of uh, bridges the gap between Genesis and, and what we're going to get into in part two uh, of God's story. Uh, and so Joseph, what we learned last week was that he was uh, in the line of the family of Abraham. Uh, and that's really important because that is how God is choosing to write his narrative right now. He's choosing to write a story of redemption, uh, of, of redeeming us and, and forgiving us through uh, calling these patriarchs, these family lines, that's ultimately going to get us all the way to Jesus. Uh, but right now, uh, what we see is, is Joseph, who is Abraham's great-great-grandson. Great, great, great. I didn't do the math. Anyways, one of them grandsons. And he is uh, one of 12 brothers. Uh, and his father's name was Jacob. And what we find out is that Joseph had these dreams, that he was called by God with these dreams. And, and his dream was that uh, he would see his family bowing down to him. And, uh, he, and his brothers already didn't like him. And he naively would tell his brothers these dreams that he was having. And so what happened is his brothers ended up selling Joseph into slavery. Uh, so really, which gets to the point, uh, nobody likes being told they're bound down to you later in life, right? So that's like the, the, the moral of the story there. Uh, but Joseph, we see, stays faithful to God throughout this, and, and he ultimately lands in Egypt. This is where he ends up as a slave. And in Egypt, uh, what we see happen is he goes from a slave uh, to being a head of a household, and then he goes into prison, and then he gradually rises through the ranks, faithful to God. God blesses him, and he ends up be becoming second in command of all of Egypt, uh, and he's like Pharaoh's guy. He told Pharaoh some things that were gonna happen and they all happened. And he said, that's because God is God and I'm telling you, God's telling me what is happening. And then this big famine hits and all of a sudden these people are coming to get food from Egypt because they set themselves up well. And then Joseph's brothers come to get this food and who is giving out this food? Surprise, surprise, it's their brother Joseph. And they're really scared, they're like, don't kill us. But what we know is that Joseph ultimately does not kill them he forgives them he forgives his brothers and what ends up happening is Jacob uh, the father of these guys moves all of their family to Egypt they all come to Egypt and Pharaoh welcomes them with open arms because of Joseph and what he's done he rescued Egypt made them the most powerful uh, uh, land in all the land and so he gives them the choice land gives them what they want he says you you do that and so they move there they flourish they're doing really, really well. So uh, this is where we're at. And if you want a kind of a timeline, I, I put this up here really quick for us to see. Uh, if we want to get it up on the screen there. So this is kind of the beginning where we have God existing, creation. This is where we're at so far. And, and we have Abraham up there. If you see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Uh, and so that's kind of where we are in the story. And we're going to ultimately get down to where they're at in Egypt. So right now we're in between about 1600 to 1500 BC. Uh, there's some discrepancies on what some theologians believe. We're just about there uh, in time. Hopefully that helps you a little bit with where we are in the story. And so this is where we're going to pick up. So Joseph and his family are there. They're flourishing. They're doing well. Exodus 1, all right, if you're there, we're going to pick this up in verse 8. Here's what it says. Okay, then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, uh, they will join our enemies and fight against us and leave the country. 
And so they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pytham and Ramses as stone cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. And so the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and work them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. And in all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. So here's, here's where we're coming in. So now we're a few uh, generations away from Joseph. Uh, and what, was, what we see here is what was originally a really great relationship uh, with the Egyptians and the Israelites. Uh, it, become, it becomes an issue. It becomes an issue with the new Pharaoh because now the population of Israel has gotten too big. And we can't, we got to be able to control this. And so what they decide to do is they decide to control Israel uh, or the Hebrews through slavery. Now, uh, and it, which is a crazy term. It's a dramatic term from how they got there. This is how God's people got there. It wasn't through slavery. It's through, man, you guys are great. Come on in. And, and so if you're in your Bibles, if you're there, uh, I want you to notice, look one more time at this phrase, to whom Joseph meant nothing. Now, for me, that, that is worth an underline or a highlight because Here's my thought. How do you forget Joseph? How do, you, how do you forget the guy who rescued you? So if you're an Egyptian, even if you're the new Pharaoh, you are only there because of Joseph and his contribution to your land, to your people. And so how do you get to a place? How do you get to a place where you forget the guy who saved you? And here's the answer, everybody. It's easy. It's easy to forget where our rescue comes from. Because I think one of the ways, if you look at one of the ways that you forget is time. Time. Time does funny things, doesn't it? Kind of, kind of the further away you get from something that happened, the more you move along from what happened, it kind of causes that thing to get fuzzier uh, and fuzzier. And, and I just think time just kind of was, on, was, was, was against their side. Uh, I think another one was comfort. I think, think about where they were. They were the most powerful country in all the, in all the land. They, they had no need. They were in power. They were comfortable in the kingdom. And so I think it was really easy to forget the rescue. And I think for us, I think where we come in, I think it's easy for us to forget where our rescue comes from too, everybody. I think sometimes it's just easy. I mean, if you just think about what we have, think about what we have. Think about the comforts. Think about the securities that we have built in uh, to our lives. And then here's the thing. Just add some time. Like add in time from the moment when you were saved, the moment where you realized that God was real and you understood what Jesus did, that he, that he saved you, rescued you from sin and death. And, and, and the time that goes by, maybe for a lot of you it's been years, but for some of you it's been decades since you came to that moment where you're like, oh man, he's real. And, and the change that took place in your life. And I just think for some of us, it's not so hard to see how easy we could forget what Jesus has done for us, what God can do and who he is in our lives. And, and, and then here's what happens, everybody. Then you kind of end up settling for this religion instead of this thriving, amazing relationship that God wants to have with you through Jesus. And so, so Israel is now in slavery. Again, there's a new Pharaoh in town and they're, they're, they're not in a good shape. So we're gonna fast forward a little bit. If you wanna flip it, we're gonna go to chapter two and we're gonna pick this up in verse 23. So it says this. So during that long period, this is what this has been going on over time. There was a cycle of slavery. Uh, the king of Egypt died. So the new Pharaoh died. Uh, the Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out it, and their cry for help uh, because of their slavery went up to God. 
And God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And so what we're seeing here is now just another Pharaoh comes. And so now we're even a few more generations down the line. And so what we see is the people of Israel become tired. They're tired of their bondage. They're tired of the slavery. And so they cry to God and it says that God hears their cry. It says that he remembers. I want you to see that it says that he remembers. Now it's important to see where it says that God remembered because what we need to know is this is not, uh, God isn't remembering in a way where he forgot. So it's not like where he's like, oh yeah, I forgot. Like that's not what you're seeing. Uh, God remembering is more of this, where he looks and says, now it's time. Now you're going to be lifted out of this. Now I, your generation is the one who's gonna see this. This promise that I made is going to come to be. And, and so God knew God remembered, and what God does next is what he does a whole lot of times, uh, and, and he does it a lot. So we're gonna jump to chapter three. So let's jump to chapter three, and let's see what he does. Verse one. It says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire, from within a bush. Moses, he saw that though the bush was on fire, it didn't burn up. And so Moses thought, I'll go over there and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. So here we see God, okay, God remembered his people. God uh, responded to his people's cry, and he responds by calling out a guy named Moses, all right? Now, this is not the first that we hear about Moses. Uh, we know a little bit about him before chapter 3. In fact, if you go back to chapter 2, uh, we actually meet Moses when he is born, uh, so that's when he first comes into the picture, that, that he is born uh, an Israelite or a Hebrew. So he is one of God's people. Uh, but what was happening here is when he was born is this. There was a lot of things going on there for the Israelites. So again, not only was Egypt controlling the population of the Hebrews by uh, putting them into slavery, here's what they were also doing. They were also putting to death any male babies that were born. That's what they were also doing. And so here's mom who has this baby boy knowing, oh my, this is, this is gonna happen. They're gonna put him to death. And so what she does is, is she tries to rescue him. So, so she makes a basket for this baby. She puts him in the basket and she floats this baby down the river. This is what mom does in, in hopes that he'll be rescued in hopes that he'll be found. That was really her only shot or he would be put to death. And, and then lo and behold, he's found. And, and, the, and, and lo and behold, who finds him is Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh's daughter finds him in this basket. She, she gets him, she raises him, and she protects him. And she is the one who actually gives him the name Moses, which means I drew him from water. That's what Moses means, is that I drew him out of water. And so Moses uh, grows up. He grows up as an Egyptian prince, believe it or not. And, but also, here's the other thing. He knows his heritage. He knows who he is. He knows that he's a Hebrew. And so he really is wrestling with this. He's wrestling with this and he gets frustrated when he sees how his people are being treated by the Egyptians. And then one day it just boils over. It boils over. He ends up killing one of Pharaoh's guys, one of Pharaoh's uh, soldiers. And he's seen and he's called out by that and he gets scared and he runs away. And he runs away to a place called Midian and he stays there in hiding for the next 40 years. 
So, so that's where we're at. Now, now we're coming in to chapter three, what we just read. And so now Moses is no longer a 40-year-old guy. He's now 80 years old and he's a shepherd and he's minding his own business, living nowhere close to Egypt. He is four decades removed from that. He's like way far away. That's been in his rear view mirror for a long time, but then out of nowhere, out of nowhere, everybody, God comes down and calls him out. Which really, if you're taking notes, goes to my first point, which we got to catch in our own lives, is that we need to realize we are never, ever too far away from God's reach. That's what Moses found out real quick. We're never away, too far away from God's reach. You know, I don't know where you are with God. I don't know what distance, you know, you feel. I don't know. Hopefully a lot of us feel close to him, but, but maybe some of you feel a gap. Maybe some of you feel uh, this measure of distance. But here's what I know. And here's what God reveals over and over again to us is that no one, no one, no one is too far from his reach. That however far away you feel, that doesn't dictate to God how close he knows he is to you and that you are never far from his call. You're never far from his love and his care and his grace and his presence. Just something good to know. So, so God calls Moses. Moses says, hey, here I am, which leads me to believe that he knows who he's dealing with. He knows uh, who God is right away. So we're gonna keep reading here in chapter three, uh, verse six. God says, Moses, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Pezzarites, the the Hivites, and, and, and to the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. That's a little bit of a different day at the office. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's little right-hand turn. Like, just, so I want you to just come with me. Just picture yourself being Moses for a second, right? You get up, normal day, get your coffee, get your shepherd shoes on, right? Get the old staff ready, cowboy hat, whatever. And, you know, hey, off to work. Bye, honey, have a great day. Then this happens. Now, imagine coming home, putting the old cane up. Hey, Moses. How was your day? Uh, you're gonna need to sit down. So first off, met God, uh, talked to me through a burning bush that wouldn't be consumed. So yeah, God's real. And uh, he wants to send me to Egypt to free all the slaves. Really? Isn't there like a million of them? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, can we eat dinner first? Yeah, yeah, we can eat dinner first, right? Just imagine, imagine how shocking this is. Imagine how shocking it would be. Maybe some of you here know what that's like, though. 
You know, maybe some of you have had that happen where you just see or you hear or you feel something so clear from God that it's like you need to have a seat kind of moment in your life, in your faith, where you're at in your journey. Maybe some of you could testify to that as well. You're like, hey, you need to take a seat here. We gotta talk about something. Maybe, maybe it's a career change that happened that God said you're gonna change. Maybe it's just a life thing that happens. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a big move. Maybe it's a spiritual deal where you're just tired of this ho-hum faith and you just, you feel this call from God, it's so clear, like it is shocking, but you know it's clear from him. So this is where, jo- where Moses is. So, so I wanna go back, I wanna go back to, to Moses and God in the wilderness here and keep reading, okay? Uh, because what we're gonna see is we're gonna see this conversation uh, between Moses and God. It's a really good conversation and how Moses responds to God uh, and his invitation. And here's what I wanna see. I wanna see this for us because here's what comes in for us here. See, like Moses, just like we feel that call, you see, there are some excuses that cause us to stay the same. And this is what Moses is gonna be wrestling with as well with this conversation with God. So we're gonna look at this. Let's pick up here in verse 11. So God says, hey, you're my guy, right? You're my guy, man. Time for my people to be set free. Uh, what you felt so strongly about 40 years ago, it's gonna happen, all right? So, so verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And so if you're taking notes, go ahead and grab those again. And and here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna look at two of the most important questions that Moses has ever asked in his life. And and here's what we need to do. We need to see how God answers this in our own lives as well, okay? So, So here's the first question that he asks. It's right there, right away. He says this, who am I? So, so Moses is saying, I'm not, hey, at 40, I would have cleaned house. But I'm this 80-year-old dude. I need that cane. You know what I'm saying? Like, I need that, man. And, and later on, what you'll read in chapter four is he keeps going through this stuff. He's like, I'm just a, I'm just a shepherd. And then he goes, you know what? I, I can't even, I'm not eloquent in my speech. I can't even talk really good. Are you sure that you want me? You sure I'm the one that should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And, and gang, listen, what's going around, what's rattling around in this guy's head, I can only imagine. And I know because of what I go through in my own life as well. Who am I? Here's what Moses would say. Who am I? I'm the murderer. I'm the coward who ran away. I'm the guy who's been sitting and hiding. I've been hiding from you, God. I'm the shepherd. You got the wrong guy because, I mean, I'm not enough. Surely I'm not enough. Isn't that what we do too? Isn't that what we do when we see God and we know who he is and we know what he wants us to do and we just fill that blank in with all kinds of stuff? I mean, I know the change that needs to come, but I'm not good enough for that. I'm not like those other people. I'm not, you know my past, God. You know what I've done. You know what I've been through. Or, you know, we probably need to make some changes in our marriage. We probably need to to be doing some different things in our family, uh, you know, with God. But I mean, gosh, like, look at them. They're, They're really different. We're not different enough to be doing that. We're not different enough. And we talk ourselves out of it with real excuses, by the way. I mean, Moses had really good ones, right? He had really good ones. I mean, if you saw the 40-year-old Moses and the 80-year-old, which one would you take? I got my answer. I take the 40-year-old every time. So he had real excuses. So let's see how God responds. Verse 12. God said, I will be with you. That's a strange response. 
Who am I? I'll be with you. Now, this is strange because notice what God does here. See, God doesn't do what many of us would do here, which is start pointing to all the things that, that Moses has going for him. Like, right, like, we wanna build him up, we wanna make him feel good about himself, right? Like, that's what we would do. Hey, Mo Moses, Moses, man, hey, repeat after me. I am great. Yeah, you are. You're great. You're amazing, and you are spectacular, smart. You're a big, strong stallion. Yes, <laughs> right? That's funny. I mean, that's funny, but that's what we would do. And, and here, but here, and I want to say this here's where a lot of people go with church and Jesus. We put the focus on us instead of God. And I'm telling you, gang, every time we do that, when, when we put the focus on us and not God, then all we become, even as a church, is just a self-help group. And that is not the gospel. That is not what the gospel says. That, that is not the good news of Jesus. Here's the good news of Jesus. The good news of Jesus is you can't, God can. And so what we don't see God doing is puffing Moses up. Because he's like, no, 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 no. You're looking at the wrong thing, dude. You're looking at the wrong thing. And so Moses says, I'm not great. I'm not qualified. And God never corrects him. He just says, I know you're not, but you don't have to be because I am. I'm what you need. I'm who you need to look at because I will be with you. I'm what you need. It's not your qualifications, but my greatness and power in you. And, and I love right after that, the next sentence, God says, I will be with you. And he says, and here will be the sign that, that they're gonna see when you get there. And, and what I love about that is God's like, if you go with me with you, they're not even gonna see you. They're just gonna see me. I love that. Gang, listen to me, that helps me. It helps me tremendously because trust me, if I came out here, if I came out here with my qualifications and my resume to be a part of this church like I am, I would never come out of that curtain. I would never come here. I'm not comfortable with that. And I, I, cannot, I, I can't tell you how much I struggle with that. Like, I, I, uh, when, when Chad invited me to be a part of this, like, we were, I, just to see what God did here over the last, you know, 10, 12 years is unbelievable. And that I'm a part of that, it doesn't make me feel comfortable. It's amazing with what God did. But I mean, I, I look at myself and I'm like, man, like, uh, when am I going to be found out? Because I don't, I don't have a theology degree. I, and I'm not some, like, heavy hitter of God's word. Like, I know some of you out there are. Like some of you are, you, know, you amaze me with, with how you know God's word. But here, here's what I know. Here's what I know and what gets me right up here, gang. Here's, here's what I know for a fact that here's what God does not say to me. He doesn't say, Andy, hey, you're great. Hey, don't you are so talented and you're pretty and like you know how to teach my word. Like you're so great at it. You go, boy. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. He says, I'll be with you if you let me. I'll take that, thank you very much. And if you put your trust in me, if you put your faith in me, then I will be up here. And when you get up there, they're not even gonna see you. They're gonna see me and they're gonna see my word and they're gonna see Jesus. And that's all me, that's nothing of you. And I can't tell you how much that empowers my faith, everybody. I can't tell you how much that encourages me. And that gets me taking the first step out there. I can't tell you how many times I'm over there. And it's not really complicated, but I'm like, God, you not me. You, not me, because I know my qualifications. But he says, it's not your qualifications, it's my power. And I think some of you are still defining your faith by your mistakes 
or by your qualifications. And God says, that's been nailed to the cross 2,000 years ago. And you need to let my power in and see what I can do. Let me unleash who I am in you. And some of us need to do that. Amen, everybody? Because that's when we'll see God work. That's when we'll see him work. It's unbelievable when we let God do it. Because he says, I am gonna raise you up. I'm gonna be the strength you need. Not from you, it's from me. Who am I? I will be with you. Next verse, verse 13. So then Moses said to God, well, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, well, what is his name? Well, then what should I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. So here's the second question. Here's the second question that we're gonna ask. Oh, wait, I might have something to say about that. Yeah, so I love this. So he says, who are you? Who are you? So I love the dialogue here. It's great. Because I could totally put myself in this where he says, suppose I go, right? Like that would be totally me. Like, uh, okay, suppose. I'm not committing. I'm not committing. Just kind of thinking out loud here, God. Just suppose I go. He says, who are you? Who, who are you? I mean, who am I saying to send to me here? Okay, but, so here's a couple reasons why Moses wants to know this. One is uh, he needed to know this culturally. So he knew that he was heading into Egypt, which was a, a, a polytheistic society. They believed in multiple gods. Not, and, and so the thought of just having one God, one creator of everything would blow their minds, okay? And gang, I'm here to tell you, we're not too far away from that either here where we're living. I mean, honestly, to have the truth to say there's one God and there's only one way, like that's offensive, but it's the truth. To say that Jesus is the only way, like that's not, that's not broad enough. That's not inclusive enough, but... But that's, I think we're closer to that than, than, than what we think. And so he knew where he was getting into. He, he needed that name from God. But here's the biggest reason why I think he needed to know. He just needed to know. He just needed to know. Because he says, who am I? And God says, I am with you. And he goes, then who are you? Like, I need to know what's behind that if you say that I'm with you. And so he says, who are you? And here's God's answer if you're taking notes. I am. I am. And so God says this word, Yahweh, or in other translations, Yehovah. And so it's translated, I am, or he is. You see it over 6,000 times used in the Bible. And so he says, just tell them, I am sent you. And so if I'm Moses, again, I'm thinking, all right, okay. So you're saying, so I'm gonna go there and say, who sent you? And you want me just to say, okay, I am sent me. I am what? Like, finish the sentence, God. Like, finish this up for me. Uh, help me out here. But here's what we need to see. See, those two words, I am, Jehovah, they contain two of the most powerful names of God. It's two of the most powerful words that names God. Well, see, when God says, I am, here's what he was saying to Moses. And here's what he was saying for him to tell them. Here's what he means. He said, I'm going to establish the sufficiency of your needs. I am. I'm gonna establish the sufficiency of who I am. So, so God says, tell them this, that I am the one who will meet their needs. That's what he's saying. And so in the Bible, what, what ends up happening is you read what you'll encounter. I talked about this in our night of worship a few weeks ago. So what you'll encounter uh, over and over again is God using this name, I am. Uh, and then the further you read, see what happens is there are these needs that come up for Israel, for his people. And we're gonna see next week when, when he gets them out of Egypt. And, and so with every need, what he does is he comes in and says, I am. And then he attaches this name to I am that supplies the need. 
And, and every, it's amazing what happens, that he meets them where they are, and, and it's sufficient in every way. And so what he's saying, he's like, hey, let me tell you how I am. Like one day when they, they were hungry, they were dying hungry, they couldn't find any food. And he goes, I am Jehovah Jireh. I am your provider and food comes from heaven and feeds them. And then later on, they see themselves in battle and they need help, they're losing, like, what do we do? And here we see God comes in, he says, I am Jehovah Nisi, I am your banner, I am your victory. If you lift me up in my name, you will win. I am Jehovah Nisi. Later on, when they were struggling to live in faith, they were struggling to live holy, he comes in, he says, hey, I am Jehovah Mekedesh, I am your holiness, therefore you can walk with me because of me and, and the holiness that I have. And then later on, when they needed peace, he says, I am Jehovah Shalom, I. I am your peace. And there's so many more, so many more as you encounter these names in the Old Testament. But that's just the Old Testament. See, then when you start reading in the New Testament, here's what happens. You'll come across this man named Jesus and he uses the same exact phrase that God does too, I am. That's a little bold, isn't it? But turns out everybody, he can use that because he's not just a guy. He's God. He's God in the flesh. And so he says, I'm gonna tell you a little bit about who I am. And so he comes up to me and he says, hey, if you have hunger, I am the bread of life. You'll never be hungry again if you feed from me. And he, and he says to those, if you're thirsty, I, I am the living water. I'm the, you'll find everything in me. You'll never be thirsty for life. Again, if you feel lost, I am the light of the world. To those who feel alone and abandoned, I am the good shepherd. I will always lead you in the right place. Anyone who's looking for answers in the meaning of life, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. To those who feel lost in the darkness, he says, I am the light of the world. Come on, somebody. And anybody who's, who looks at death that is certain and says, man, I wonder if there's something else out there he says, I am the resurrection. I beat death. If you believe in me, you won't need anything else in this world. Anybody want to say amen to that? That's what Jesus does. It's amazing. It's awesome. It's awesome. Yeah. And so see, here's what I want to say. See, what God's story, what God's story from all the way in the very beginning to, to where we are with Jesus is, is just this ongoing, repetitive thing of God saying, here's what this is pointing to, which is not you. It's me. And I'm telling you, that's good news, everybody. That's good news, because if all this is just pointing to us, I will say something. We have a very limited catalog of hope with us. Very limited. We might find little glimmers of it, but it is a limited catalog of hope. But if, it, but if this life points to God who says, I am, then that gives us all the hope we'll ever need. And so all of this is behind God saying, I am. I am sufficient. I am enough. I am abundantly present. I'm able to do far more than you ever imagined. I am. And so here's what we're gonna see happen. We're gonna pick up next week. Moses says, okay, I'll do it. And so he journeys to Egypt. This is what we're gonna pick up next week. And what we're gonna see is God show up and clearly establish who he is. And we're gonna see his power in amazing ways. And so he's gonna leave no doubt with who he is. But today we're left with these two questions to think about. Here it is. Who am I? And more importantly, God, who are you? And what God does is he reveals himself to Moses and, and he says, here's who I am. And I think that's what he wants to do with us this morning. This is a challenge I wanna leave this with you. So here's what I wanna ask you. Who are you? Who are you? God has an answer for you. He says this, look at me. Don't look at you. 
Look at me to answer that question because for us, like as Christians, like as a people who believe in Jesus and are a follower of Jesus Christ and know that there's a God who created us, see, we need to refuse to be defined by anything but God. Let's just refuse to be defined by anything else other than God because our assurance isn't about who we are, but who he is. Amen, everybody? And then God tells you who he is. He tells you who he is. There is a presence of I am. And we need to know how powerful he is. There is a powerful God behind that. And that's the challenge that I wanna leave us with today. Let me pray. God, thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for just showing us over and over again, A, that we are never too far from your call. We are never too far from your reach and your love and your forgiveness and your, and your grace and, and all of those things that you wanna give to us. No matter how far away we feel, Help us see that we are never too far away from your reach. And God, thank you for establishing who you are in our lives. I pray that we are challenged by that, that we don't look to ourselves and we look to you and that we see that if we look to you and put our trust and faith in you, that there is no need that we will ever have in this life because of what Jesus did for us, that everything else was nailed to the cross and so that we could come with no shame, no condemnation, that we could just come to you and know that you supply every bit of what we need. We love you and we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Hey, that concludes our service today. Next week, don't forget, we're gonna come back and see this traveling to Egypt and what happens.